Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Research, reporting, industry analysis, information, and tokenomics. Welcome to Thriller Insights. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world. Gather around, it's time for another exciting episode of Thriller Insights. Today is October 3rd, 2020. And yeah, we're talking about BitMEX, Bitcoin, and three missing men. Kind of kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Well, it's it's a very big story and it is attributing to the the drop we saw in Bitcoin this week. And we talked about it on Telegram when it happened <laughs> and uh, we went ahead and I, w- I was like, you know what? I want to record last night because I felt like, OK, it's just fresh. It's in everybody's mind. But the more and more I waited, I was like, you know what? It's probably better to let everything kind of flush itself out and see how it looks like tomorrow. And sure enough, I'm glad we did that, because if you haven't heard yet, U.S. regulators and law enforcement officials brought charges on Thursday against BitMEX, that's right, a cryptocurrency exchange that has grown in recent years to be one of the industry's biggest players, and not only liquidity, but like just in trading in general. So this is coming from, that's right, CFTC, because this is who's going to drop something like this. And it was funny because we were talking about earlier in the week how the SEC had till the 30th (laughs) of of September to like release everything. And then lo and behold, this gets, you know, this gets released here on October 1st. It was or I'm sorry. Yeah, October 1st. It was October 1st, which is kind of crazy because I'm like, man, CFTC end up coming after him. So this is what they got him for. The prosecutors accused BitMEX of facilitating unregistered trading and other violations, including conducting significant aspects of its business from the U.S. and accepting orders and funds from United States customers. And this is all coming from Coindesk and Decrypt. Now, most of this news dominated like all of crypto Twitter. It was just nuts. Right. And when that happened. This set traders and mostly everybody scrambling to the near to their not only to BitMEX if they were trading on BitMEX, but to every exchange and started pulling, right? And some 20,000 Bitcoin were apparently withdrawn from BitMEX in a single hour. Yeah, you literally see the the dip. It was it was insane. So not only is this bad news for BitMEX, <laughs> right? I feel like people are just going to continue to pull their money off there. Um, it's just not a safe place anymore, right? Liquidity is going to dry up really fast. But the crazy thing about all of this is Audrey Strauss, the acting United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, announced that Hayes, that's right, Arthur Hayes, Ben Delio, Samuel Reed, and Gregory Dreyer, all who own part of the company, right, were being charged with violating the Bank Secrecy Act and conspiracy to violate the act. Samuel Reed has been arrested and they're still looking for the rest of them. That's freaking nuts. Like, 
it's crazy to think that they're going to come after him and charge him for that. That's five years. So check this out. So the assistant FBI director, William Sweeney Jr., he said in a statement that I thought was pretty interesting. He says, one defendant, and I guess he's talking about these four men, went as far as to brag the company, BitMEX, incorporated in a jurisdiction outside the United States because bribing regulators in that jurisdiction costs just a coconut, quote unquote. Uh, he also said this, thanks to the diligent work of our agents, analysts, and partners with the CFTC, they will soon learn the price of their alleged crimes will not be paid with tropical fruit, but rather could result in fines, restitution, and federal prison time. Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. That's nuts. Like, they really came after him. I mean, just listen to the whole gamut, right? So the CFTC charged BitMEX with executing futures transactions on an unregistered board, offering illegal options, failing to register as a futures commission merchant, failing to register as a designated contract market, failing to implement proper know your customer rules and other counts according to an attached legal filing. And this isn't the first time BitMEX has been under investigation. This is a long time coming. But before we get into all of that, because I have my theories, <laughs> let's dive into what BitMEX was supposed to be from the man himself, Arthur Hayes. Take a listen. derivatives trader doing futures contracts and ETF market making for the Hong Kong and Singapore Stock Exchange at Citibank here in uh, in Hong Kong. And one day I got called into my managing director's office after the market closed and I, I got fired. Um, part of about a, a 10,000 person call of uh, employees at, at Citibank over, the, over those two years. And once I had you know, gotten out of the bank, I thought to myself, well, I wanted to do something different. I was kind of bored at my job. So I thought, well, what other things can I get into? What am I most passionate about? Luckily, I discovered Bitcoin. I read the white paper, thought it was super interesting, and then thought about how do you actually trade this thing? And I did some research. I opened my first trading account at MT Gox. And then I discovered a small futures platform called ICBit, which was run by two Russian guys in the Caribbean. We didn't know who they were, but they were where all the flow was. And I started doing arbitrage between uh, ICBit, which was futures contracts. I would sell futures contracts, expensive. And then I would send cash to MTGOX and purchase Bitcoin and keep that, that position hedged. And I would roll it every month. And the returns back then were between 100% to 200% per annum returns. So much wider basis, i.e. the futures contract minus the spot than we see today. And that was how I paid my rent and got into Bitcoin. I had a vision that Bitcoin or some sort of cryptographic money could be very important for how humans interact with 
money. And how we interact with money changes about every two to 500 years. And if you're at that inflection point, uh, obviously there's a there's massive disruption. There's people and companies and entities and governments that lose out. And then there's those who become wildly successful. And that's the basis of, you know, multi-generational wealth that we're still seeing today. Uh, and so I thought that this cryptographic money revolution could be my chance to participate in one of those disruptive time periods. And that's why I was so excited about it. So they actually responded, BitMEX, the company, and they said this. In response to reports of the United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Department of Justice decision to file charges against HDR Global Trading Limited and related parties, we have the following statement. We strongly disagree with the United States government's heavy-handed decision to bring these charges and intend to defend the allegations vigorously. From our early days as a startup, we have always sought to comply with applicable U.S. laws as those laws were understood at the time and based on available guidance. In the meantime, the BitMEX platform is operating entirely as normal and all funds are safe. <laughs> yeah, that's what they released. It's, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I don't think we've seen something like this ever before in crypto or in Bitcoin. This is unprecedented, really. Um, yeah, uh, it just makes you wonder, like, are they going to go after Binance next? Are they going after Tether next? Is that is that something that's going to happen at some point next year? Is that how this everything kind of <laughs> trickles out? I mean, it's nuts. I'm thinking all sorts of things. Uh, I, I definitely think we have been seeing this coming for a really long time. And if you follow on me on Twitter, I posted that, hey, uh, we actually brought this up last year around June <laughs> of uh, 2019 uh, in this. In, I think it was a Thriller Insider. And while the charges are heavy and well coordinated, they had their ducks all in a row. They usually do. Um, I honestly think this was just a matter of time. And I said it at that time in June. And I'm going to play that back for you. So just a little context behind this. At that time, Bact hadn't released yet. And a lot of us were wondering how that was going to kind of play out throughout the year last year. And one of the things that was kind of swirling around in, in the space was that BitMEX had the largest order books. They had the most liquidity on any exchange on the planet. And how was Bact and CBOE? How, how were they all going to compete? And this literally is a speaking with them talking about how they were going to compete with BitMEX. It's fascinating. Take a listen as they discuss what to do about BitMEX. valuable order book in crypto is managed by a company called BitMEX. Uh, they're domiciled in Seychelles and they operate in Hong Kong. 
and the amount of notional volume that they transact is probably somewhere between 20 and 30% of daily notional. And it is the pricing reference has the most liquidity of any order book in Bitcoin or Bitcoin-like products. And they've innovated not just the regulatory arbitrage, but also a really unique product that has economic incentives and mechanisms to keep the futures price very closely tracking some spot prices. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating um, engineering of a, a financial product. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, BitMEX, I think, is doing uh, interesting things in this space. But, you know, the model they deploy is not the same model that participants can enjoy from central clearing and being a regulated clearinghouse and a regulated exchange. Uh, you know, the concept of socializing losses and kind of the, the mutualization of risk and things like that is very different in that space, where there, when there were some uh, kind of losses being handled on the BitMEX platform, we saw spikes in our volume at the same time uh, because people are, are getting put into risk uh, that they necessarily aren't signing up for uh, at inception. Uh, so when we look at the central clearing model, these are the benefits that customers want, uh, you know, especially someone when you're talking to the institutional players who are still waiting. Some of it is going through uh, investment committees and risk committees and new product approval, but a fundamental uh, aspect of the listed regulated venues that in the U.S. that we're looking to provide through the DCO services and the clearing services is that as a clearinghouse, we are the buyer to every seller and the seller to every buyer. We guarantee that trade, and that's not something that exists in the OTC unregulated space. Uh, so I think that's a benefit that people enjoy, and that's actually what gives, I think, a large degree of comfort to some more traditional players and institutions in making that move into crypto. Uh, so I think that's one of the largest, and I think we're kind of hearing that you know, from the, the regulated venues, uh, that that's probably still one of the original customer demands and remains as strong today that they want a centrally cleared regulated product uh, for them to be able to risk manage and enter the crypto markets. I'd like to push back a little bit on that. I think that crypto and crypto native uh, and certainly the future gives us the opportunity to require less trust. I think that's the, the ultimate goal for decentralized technology. And I think there will be a way to either self-custodian or not necessarily rely on a lot of um, centralized infrastructure at some point and rely on public blockchains. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Um, I don't think when we're talking about financial transactions, we need less trust. I mean, I think that's fundamentally uh, or diametrically opposed to our viewpoint from the benefits of central clearing, because one of the things as you need to manage your risk is you need to understand the rules of the road and have a degree of certainty about how those events will unfold when you need to manage said risk. Uh, so it may be decentralized, and that's certainly an attractive aspect of the technology and the space. But central clearing, it provides the trust to get market participants to, to do these things and provide liquidity, and you need certainty at delivery. Maybe to Tim's point, one thing I like to differentiate is we kind of unfortunately bucket all of crypto together for the different processes or, or uh, things people are doing. And in one way, trading in markets may better well be served in a centralized, more holistic um, uh, framework that kind of fits in with the, the existing financial system because these products are regulated and there's there's no way to avoid that unless you go offshore. Uh, but the actual application and utility of crypto, I do think to Ron's point that decentralization can be powerful. So it is, it is this idea that if you actually want to store your own, your own crypto, you absolutely can. If you want to build an application on top of a public blockchain, you can do that in a permissionlessly innovative way. And I think a lot of great stuff will come from that. 
But when you really fundamentally double click on trading and markets and price discovery, I do think the vast majority of capital that's waiting on the sidelines will not come in for things like self-custody or mutualized losses via you know, no clearing um, or a, an alternative clearing method. They are looking for this asset class to fit inside the bucket and the processes that they're used to, and, and that's where we're going to see the most growth. So it was clear to me, even back then, that not only were they reporting on what Bitmex was doing to regulators, but they were behind closed doors talking about it, right? And this has more to do about controlling price discovery and the CFTC knows this, right? And this is not a conspiracy or anything like this. we know the United States loves to make sure that when it comes to global trading and when it comes to fiat currency and when it comes to exchanges across the world, we love to be the prime beacon of of said product, right? New York City. And this is a shot across the bow to overseas cryptocurrency exchanges that might be cutting the corners on everything. Now, typically, when the United States gets involved like this, they have a lot of leverage, right? And they had every incentive to do this. Uh, it's it's not a surprise that the people that are going to gain the most out of this are going to be backed, right? And are going to be CME. Like the, the, these are are going to be RSX. These are the these are the exchanges that are going to get the most out of this curtailing of BitMEX. And like it or not, um, according to the United States law, Arthur Hayes and the rest of his company did break the law. Um, And this is what this is about. Uh, I don't necessarily think this is good for Bitcoin personally, um, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing either. Because at the end of the day, this had to happen. The United States wants to make sure they control. And when I say this, I say this. They want American companies controlling the liquidity, the order book, uh, the whole nine yards um, when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto. And they can't do that if there's a exchange, you know, that's doing that overseas. And I think that's what this was really about. Um, the only good news that comes out of this, quite possibly, and this is just speculation on my part, we'll probably see a Bitcoin ETF sooner. Um, once they get control of, of this, um, and you'll start seeing that happen for sure next year. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I got to report on this story. It was fascinating to say the least. There's so much more to dive into and we're going to dive into it here in coin analysis. Cause we got to talk about how this affects Bitcoin here in the short term and long term. So let's do it. Coin analysis starting now. Coin analysis. 
so today's drop was pretty massive. <laughs> we were we were very much enjoying those October highs. Um, like I, I really thought I was like, wow, OK, we just released Bitcoin in October. And I was talking about breaking 11K here in the middle of the month. And lo and behold, it, we were at 10.9. And I was like, whoa, well, maybe we're going to break it here earlier in the month. Uh, but it's not showing that. And then lo and behold, something happens. We fall down to 10.4. And that happened in the past 48 hours. So more than 32,200 Bitcoin worth around 337 million has been moved from BitMEX. And this is all coming from Glassnode. They, they do the best data analytics in the space. Um, and then you had more Bitcoin traders continue the outflows from BitMEX on Friday. Uh, I think... I think it's safe to say that most of those, most of that Bitcoin is probably from uh, the, the 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 top people <laughs> in BitMEX. I would imagine um, they're going to pull theirs first, um, and then you also had open positions in Bitcoin perpetuals, so they were trading. Um, gosh, I want to say more than a billion. I think. And then it declines nearly 592 million. And that's according to data provided by SKU. I'm not sure exactly how I haven't really heard of them. Uh, they're a crypto derivatives research firm, but we'll take their word for it this time. <laughs> uh, however, liquidity as measured by the bid offer spread on the exchange remains relatively stable. Um, and you kind of saw that at, at the at the lowest cost. Um, but the total inflows. So check this out. So the total inflows to exchanges averaged around 65,000 Bitcoin last week. And then um, so since BitMEX withdrawals are adding about 25 percent more liquidity already, more than 65 percent of the total outflow has been transferred to other exchanges. So people aren't resting easy, <laughs> leaving it there on BitMEX. And um, probably the last stat I'll share with you, about 170,000 in Bitcoin or 1.8 billion had been held in the BitMEX wallets. That's according to Glassnode. Um, so here in the short term, what does this mean? This isn't good. Like uh, you're starting to see people pull their Bitcoin. Uh, people ch change it to other exchanges. Um, this is this was a big this was a big behemoth of an exchange. And this is where a lot of people were shilling on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen it <laughs> shilling their BitMEX referral links. Right. Trying to get people to go um, go 100 X. Um, lose their Bitcoin, stuff like that. You like you see a lot of that going on in YouTube, and that's why a lot of those people get banished from there. Um, but I also think, too, that um, this is also a good thing because I do think we're going to see some type of ETF or some type of um, some type of move that's going to be able to create more exchanges here stateside. It's not good. I mean, you'd you'd want this spread out all over the world, but I mean, if you're in America right now, this is this is not a bad move for you, right? Uh, especially with the dollar tanking. Um, so a lot of that liquidity, that order book, is going to be controlled by the NYC <laughs> regulators there. Um, so they do get that, and that's what this is all about. Make no mistake. Uh, as soon as Bat came on board. There's strong ties there with regulators. That's that's all they do. And I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. That's just solid facts. There was a time and you can go back and listen to 2019 through the crypto premium. We were talking about how backed and I think it was RSX and a few other regulators had a private party 
you can go back and listen to that episode. I don't remember the name of it, but it was one of those backs episodes during the summer because we we're talking about it a lot. And they literally like and I even showed a picture like there's the CEO of back at the time and she's like talking about everything. And yeah, so there's a lot of close friendships there. Right. And long ties. They've been working hand in hand for for a career now. Right. So I think they knew where they were headed with this. They had to get their ducks in a row. I think everybody's getting prepared uh, for what's going to happen next year. And that's going to be this major run. And I think this needed to happen for that to happen. I think when you look at the long term chart for Bitcoin, this doesn't affect it long term. We're still headed towards this trajectory, whether uh, people like it or not. The more the Fed prints fiat, the more Bitcoin's going to rise. And it was funny. I was talking to um, my family today. They were like, how are you so certain about this? Right. I mean, it's an honest question. And so I, I pulled out the chart that trading shot had showed them like, you know, how this cycles compared to the last cycle and so on and so forth and you know what we're seeing here happening in late 2021 and i said yeah there's possibility you know we don't get to um you know 80 or 120,000 but we're in this range and we're going to get in this range of between 25 you know, up to 120,000, like somewhere we're going to peak somewhere in there. Right. And that's either going to be 30,000, 35, 50, eight. Some people are saying 80, some people are saying 120. I haven't, I haven't, I personally have not said anything just yet. I'll, I'll look at that next year. Trust me, guys, I'm focused on this year. <laughs> I've done, I've done making projections like that long ago. <laughs> that's, that's old school car that would done that. And I told him like, this is the gamut that we're going to go. And I'm, I'm basically saying this is a spread, right? Like we're going to be somewhere in the upwards of 25K to, you know, it goes as high as uh, 200,000, right? In this particular chart that I'll put in the show notes. And they're like, well, how do you know it's going to go to, I'm like, I didn't say it was going to go to 200,000. I said, this is the spread. Um, and when you do that spread, this is where it's going to land somewhere in here. To me, I look at Bitcoin at $3,000. I look at that spread a year ago. Uh, it's easy math, right? Um, so that's what I tell them. Uh, and they were just kind of like, eh, you know, <laughs> I'm like, OK, then why do you ask? <laughs> but in reality, they know that I was right about the whole recession that was happening this year because a lot of them were like, yeah, you said that last year. And I was like, yeah, that was the whole point of me talking to you all individually and explaining why this was going to happen and what was going on behind the scenes and to be ready for it. We didn't exactly know when it was going to happen. We just knew a recession was coming. We we're certain of it. Right. Um, and the same thing with this, with Bitcoin and its price trajectory. Um, but I think for the average person who doesn't know anything about how Bitcoin works or how it functions at a fundamental level or even how these markets play out right on the charts, they can look at that and be like, no, that's not going to happen. And I can point to 100 different ways why that will happen. You think it, you think it's a. Uh, you think it's a surprise that DeFi got to $10 billion? No, it's not a surprise that De DeFi got to $10 billion. They're literally printing money over there in Ethereum. <laughs> They're making tokens, swapping them for USDC, Tether, whatever you want, right? And they're moving it over, swapping it for Bitcoin, whatever you want. DEX is all happening on protocol, of course, through a DEX, but still, 
this is why this is why Bitcoin will if if anything else, even if no one enters any money next year into Bitcoin, even if there's not even bullish news, uh, DeFi and Ethereum will take care of it. <laughs> That'll get it over 30K. So that's what I'm trying to say. There's there's eventualities for this stuff. And when you look at the charts, you can kind of point it out and we can kind of look at the space right now. I could say this is probably where it's going to happen. This is probably what's going to be the fire that lights the match. There's other bullish news. There's other people that are recognizing that, you know, it's it's not a surprise. But this guy. Mr. President, uh, I rise again, I'm afraid to make the same old hoary speech that I've been making here for several years. And that is, it is my opinion that you do not really understand the concept of banking. All the banks are broke. Uh, Bank Santander, Deutsche Bank, Royal Bank of Scotland, they're all broke. And why are they broke? It isn't an act of God. It isn't some sort of tsunami. They're broke because we have a system called fractional reserve banking, which means that banks can lend money that they don't actually have. It's a criminal scandal, and it's been going on for too long. To add to that problem... You have moral hazard, a very significant moral hazard from the political sphere. And most of the problem starts in politics and central banks, which are part of the same political system. We have counterfeiting, sometimes called quantitative easing, but counterfeiting by any other name. The artificial printing of money, which if any ordinary person did, they'd go to prison for a very long time. And yet governments and central banks do it all the time. Central banks repress the amount of interest that rate, rates are, so we don't have the real cost of money. And yet we blame the real retail banks for manipulating LIBOR. The sheer effrontery of this is quite astonishing. It's central banks. It's central banks that manipulate interest rates, Commissioner. And plus, underneath all this, we talk loosely, in a rather cavalier fashion, do we not, about deposit guarantees. So when banks go broke through their own incompetence and chicanery, the taxpayer picks up the tab. It's theft from the taxpayer. And until we start sending bankers, and I include central bankers and politicians, to prison for this outrage, it will continue. <laughs> and he actually purchased his first Bitcoin today. Yeah. Believe it or not, he went on Twitter and now he has a YouTube channel and he's probably going to show up on Pomp's podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to listen to it because that guy is amazing. Right. That's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody's waking up to what the Fed is doing. Everybody's waking up to what they've been pulling over our, our heads for so long. And uh, the days are numbered. Like it or not, the days are numbered. OK, with that, let's get into future predictions. Speculative token analysis. These are future predictions. So today on future predictions, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to talk about DeFi, and it's it's kind of forewarning a lot of us, uh, myself included, that 
the days are numbered with uh, these because you got to think about it. Before in the past, we had we had very centralized, decentralized exchanges. I know that's kind of hard to hard to fathom, but in, in the early days of Ethereum, you would find a lot of these assets on DEXs, right? Um, these days, now you have these decentralized protocols, right? Quote unquote decentralized protocols. And so what we're seeing now is a front end of a, how would you even call it a DEX? It's more like a liquidity pool with underlining assets. But to make it to make it simple, now we have a front end, looks like Uniswap, looks like Matcha, looks like uh, KyberSwap, anything else you use out there, right? And these are all protocols. And so what we need to realize is that at some point here in the near future, it's probably going to be sooner now because this BitMEX, um, not only, I mean, the biggest problem with the whole BitMEX thing is they weren't KYC, right? And they were bragging about it in front of everybody. And they were, quote unquote, bribing regulators with coconuts, <laughs> end quote. Um, this is from an FBI agent. I didn't say, I didn't make that up. Um, so I, th I think what we're going to see here very soon is KYC on something like Uniswap. And you're probably like, how, how is that going to I'm like, you're already seeing talks of it, right? If you go on crypto Twitter and I follow a lot of people on purpose, <laughs> investigating, and you see some of these chats that they're having. Um, I, I think that's probably why consensus bought AirSwap. Now looking at it now, I thought it was going to be big something. I thought it was going to be something for a different approach, but you're kind of seeing like what they're going to do. They're going to try to lead the way of the Ethereum space um, and show them that you can have KYC, you know, done on a um, on a uh, exchange protocol, right? Um, and they're going to try to show the way for that and for the space, uh, the Ethereum space. And I think you're going to start seeing that kind of take hold now. Probably, you know, probably not for swaps under $100, but I would imagine once they get to 1000 or above, you'll probably have to KYC or something like that's going to happen at some point. And just be aware of that. Uh, and it's probably they're probably going to do it in a way where, <laughs> you know, if they don't follow those guidelines, then you have the SEC uh, coming after these developers and finding them. And that's exactly what happened to Ether Delta two years ago. They went after the developer and find them because he had this Dex that was really popular. I used to use it. It was awesome. Um, but I think that's what I think that's what we're going to see now going forward is we're going to see um, some KYC or AML of some sort on these um, on these protocols. It's kind of sad. Right. Um, but you have to realize this. If if they don't do that, like, say, for example, Uniswap doesn't do that, they're going to come after them because Towards the end of this whole 10 billion rise in DeFi this year, they were competing with Coinbase uh, on the liquidity that was being traded through Uniswap. So uh, there's very there's very much a gentleman's game to this. And then there's very much a shake hands. Um, you owe me one <laughs> kind of game to this, too, as well. And we kind of saw that today with BitMEX. Right. And. I'm not saying that's happening for some of these other stuff, but I'm sure somebody's passing notes along, 
right? And and that's what we're going to see. So just be aware of that. Uh, that our days of non-KYC, non-AML on some of these um, protocols are, are numbered. But it's just the way it goes in crypto. Okay. this episode talking about a game of cat and mouse. So when ICOs got shot up in 2016, 2017, that was a thing that the SEC had to come back, you know, at the end of 2017, early 2018. And they did. And what they did instead, the Ethereum space, is created tokens with governance behind them. You know, this is why you saw a lot of early tokens in 2019 talk about this and, and educate the rest of the space about creating decentralization amongst a certain project or your project or a new project coming out. It was all in an effort to retrain how we thought about this. And I saw it at South by in 2019 when Joe Lubin was talking about it. Now, with what we're doing here with protocols and KYC and AML talk around them, Developers will go back to the drawing board. Consensus will go back to the drawing board. They'll figure this stuff out. And then there'll be a different conversation next year of how to either implement this or how to circumvent this. And round and round this cat and mouse game goes. See you next time.